recently I went back to the Davies Bundler tensor of Schumann mm. and that is a Great piece recording I, I, piece, I, so I feel very close to that piece and I'll always want to play it mm. I think that's my favourite recording of yours actually oh, that you. one <laughs> what, what, what's your favourite recording of what you've done I don't know you see I don't listen to them that much so uh, I'm proud to have the field and uh, in recent years we did all the Brahms chamber music not the sonatas but everything for trio and quartet so I'm very proud of that I mean, I've enjoyed them all. You know, we've mm. done um, York Bowen oh, yes. CD, I love, and, I love this and that was fascinating. That was mm. a real voyage of discovery for me. I'd never played a note mm. of York Bowie. Have you checked out much of his solo stuff? No, I mean, I've I've taught the odd thing at masterclasses mm. and heard mm. the odd thing. But, uh, yeah, he's a fascinating character, mm. isn't he? I mm. mean, such a talented... The English Rachmaninoff was yeah. his moniker, wasn't it? Yes, <laughs> yes. But, I mean, he's... he's uh, yeah, I, I was fascinated. We learned one trio, which was constructed from from bits and bobs, and we kind of had to reconstruct it. It was like palm court music. Mm-hmm. You know, he went from his light music to his mm. very serious music. Mm. And uh, it was all great fun. Yeah, very, very difficult. Very difficult. Mm. I like things which are kind of, you have to um, struggle with. Mm. And I also like to come back to things which feel easy. I think it's a balance, mm. you know, which feel easier. <laughs> I wouldn't mm. say easy. So, so do you still memorise music now that you're learning? Yes, I still memorise music, yeah. I don't know about you, but with age, God, it gets harder and harder. Oh, yeah, it doesn't get easier, does it? But um, Do do you find that it gets, like, noticeably more difficult as you get older to do that, or or not so much because you do it I think, you know, it's either going in or it isn't. And if it isn't, well, you might as well just use the score. Okay, (laughs) okay. But but if it is going in, then there's always... uh, an extra element when you have memorized it because it's kind of your property. It becomes mm. your property and mm. you've imbibed it. Mm. And, uh, and there is this feeling of improvising it, mm. even though you're, you're not actually improvising, but you have this feeling that it's more improvised when you uh, mm. play from memory. Like a flow. Yes, mm. exactly. Yeah. I remember the last time that, that we met up briefly, um, 
Uh, you were talking about the importance that, of, of sight reading in a professional career. Yes. How yeah. vital that is. Well, particularly in chamber music, uh-huh. because you have to assimilate something very quickly. Sometimes, mm. you know, um, we're going to do the first rehearsal then, and you have to prepare mm. quite quickly, and there's a lot of repertoire floating around. Mm. So if you weren't a good sight reader, I would think you'd have to be incredibly organized. Mm. Um, you've got to be organized anyway. But I think it, it, it really does help to um, get to know new music quicker. Mm. And But, I mean, when we say good sight reading, I'm a good sight reader in styles I know. But, mm. You know, when you've got something which is completely alien to you mm. and something very unfamiliar, then you really have to start mm. from scratch. Well, I think the last time I saw you was when uh, uh, you with the, the Gould Trio played the Rachmaninoff um, second trio. And it yeah. was just superb. How long did that take you to prepare, that, that piano part? Uh, well, I, I mean, I just a um, few months and... Uh, um, we kind of, we worked on it for about a year, I suppose, mm. d- doing a few concerts. And I think, yes, that concert, I was very happy with that concert. That was a kind of product of the various performances we'd done. Because mm. there's also and amazing about, Yeah, and learning about the balancing of it, mm. which mm. is very difficult, mm. you know, to bring the cello out enough mm. and um, how to shape the movements. It's such a long piece mm. and it's like trudging through the Russian snow. You know, you've got to, <laughs> it takes time and you've got to be very, very patient mm. how you pace it. The first moment I always think is a bit like a football match. You know, they're, they're passing it around mm. very slowly, everything. Then suddenly something <laughs> happens. There's a lot of, lot mm. of energy and passion. Mm. And then it goes back to the slower pace. Yeah. A bit like football. Um, well, I mean, I could definitely hear that that balancing because, like, uh, the, almost every recording that I've heard of that trio, the second trio, it's it's basically a piano piece with that happens to have a cello and violin playing along. But with aren't it. But, they but, but beautiful? Wasn't. Aren't they beautiful parts? Oh, though? it's gorgeous. You know, but that wasn't what I heard when you were playing. It was a proper ensemble. Oh, good. Because when I have the tune uh, in the first moment, it's much more difficult for me to do that first subject on the piano mm. from when they have it. Mm. Uh, you know they they they've got the vibrato and the yeah, expression yeah. of the bow, but uh, yes, I think it's an amazingly deeply felt piece mm. because Rachmaninoff was such a huge admirer of Tchaikovsky, and mm. then when Tchaikovsky died, he just threw himself into this, mm. just like Tchaikovsky did after Nikolai Rubinstein died. Mm. So you've got this marvelous tradition of uh, elegiac piano trios yes, in the yes. late Romantic period, and they're, they're, those the experience of playing those big pieces is is mm. fantastic. You know, you go through such a lot, mm. and um, and you share it with the audience. You really mm. feel they've shared the journey with mm. you. So, I think that that large scale 
um, motivic development that Rachmaninoff does in his later stuff is massively underrated. Um, I'm trying to learn the, the second piano sonata at the moment, and I do remember you sort of saying to me, oh, Bob, you must listen to this slow movement of the, the second piano sonata. Mm. You've, you've learned this piece. Uh, the Rachmaninoff. Right? Yeah, the Rachmaninoff second um, sonata. Uh, no, I... I don't think I've never. Oh. I remember asking John Ogden because I knew John Ogden. But uh-huh. I said, I said, did you ever learn the Rachmaninoff Second Sonata? He said, no, but I recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh my god! But uh, yeah, I, 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 I loved the music and I loved Horowitz's recording of his own version. Of yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Which apparently you think you can get now. Because he said to Rachmaninoff, you know, you've done the first version, which is marvellous. Now you've mm. done this shorter version, which is also marvellous. But what mm. do I do? And mm. and he said, well, you're a good musician. You go and put the mm. two t- together. So he did. And, and, of and course, I think Horowitz's the... version is probably better than both. <laughs> I, yeah, I do. I do. Uh, and, I, uh, and, and obviously in this day and age where everyone feels that it has to be authentic, it has to yeah. be original to what the composer yeah. wanted. It's got that added thing that yeah. Rachmaninoff said to Horowitz, I approve of this, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which keeps everyone happy. But yeah. I still can't help but feel in Horowitz's version that it's missing bits from the yes. from the first edition that, yeah. that, that, that are like giant holes for me. But, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's the bells in Rachmaninoff, isn't it? Those wonderful bell sounds, which that piece is, is yeah. full of it. Yes. And... Uh, and the the intense melancholy oh, with the slow has the very first two notes. You know, it's yeah. Now mm. I, I've always I've always loved Rachmaninoff very much, but I don't play a lot because even though I have quite a good stretch, I haven't got a stretch like he had. And, and uh, that stops you. Have you seen my hands? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm struggling so much. You know, he really did write for himself. I think all the great composer pianists wrote for themselves. With Beethoven, all the trills. Mm. Well, he didn't just write those trills because they were marvellous musically. He wrote them because he could do them. (laughs) You know, he must have been wonderful at Mm. trills. Mm. And um, Rachmaninoff with the big chords... Those were much easier for him. Well, yeah, I mean, thank God that he didn't properly write just for himself. I mean, his hands were so enormous that he could have easily written things that no other mortal could play. Yes, yes, um, yes. I he couldn't... probably even had a bit of thought for us all. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I've always loved the music and uh, it just feels so, uh, so much of the Russian soul mm. is in there. But I, But I do have to admit that most of the time, as I get older, um, I mean, I, I used to love Chopin when I was younger. And as I get older, I find it increasingly difficult to like <laughs> a lot of it. Yeah. And, uh, I well, mean, your, your over, Chopin was... overexposed. Um, you know, I mean, there's still, I mean, I did uh, the Opus 41 Berserkers perform recently, and that was mm. lovely to do that. Mm. Um, they're still a kind of, hidden gems in mm. there which aren't so popular yeah but I mean, what what keeps me coming back to to Rachmaninoff is mm. the the sheer amount of counterpoint and lines and layers and yeah. what I find with Chopin is that the more I listen to it the more I'm like where are the counterpoints where are the layers where's the stuff to get my my ear into but I thought if there's anyone that I should say this to it's you because well, I have think, such a love of Chopin I, th- I think with Chopin I think Charles Rosen talked about this how the line 
goes between the voices. Mm. It kind of weaves in and out of different voices. Mm. And um, things like the late uh, B major nocturne, that's uh, a beautiful example of that. Mm. Um, no, I mean, I love Chopin's chromaticism mm. and uh, pieces like the Barcarolle have stayed oh, with yeah. me all my life. Mm. And uh, I'll always want to play that. Mm. And um, there are there are exceptions to how I feel that. Uh, I, I mean, the Barker, all the ballads. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yesterday, I was walking down the corridor in our NCM, and suddenly I heard the development section of uh, Chopin's second sonata, B flat minor, Funeral March, and it sounded terribly exciting, mm. terribly exciting. I thought, oh God, I love that piece. I've never done that piece. And um, I said to my student, you and I said, I heard a very good uh, B-flat minor today. Who's that? He said, oh, there's at least four playing it at the moment. Oh, <laughs> my Lord, wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I mean, the, 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 um, the whole aura of Chopin, his, his story and um, the kind of painfulness Mm. It, it always comes over to me, and then there's the elan of the of the <laughs> less uh, serious works, uh-huh. and the beautiful virtuosity, and as you say, the the studies are absolutely amazing. We we wrote them when he was nineteen twenty. Really, he Is was that, yeah, very yeah. early. Pieces. Now they are hard to bring some of your own personality to. Yes. Um, yeah. What, what What are your favorite recordings now? Do you have favorite recordings of those? Well, I, I used to love the quarto ones, yeah. and I loved Ashkenazi's early recording, yeah. which he did when he was about eighteen. You know, I mean, mm. obscenely good. Mm. And um, but I think uh, the trouble is that you you have to all these things are he only wrote them to help himself with the with his concertos, which he'd written. Mm. So, I mean, they, they can tend to become too much of an obsession. Mm. But, I mean, obsession is uh, probably what our profession is all about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you the, first and foremost, when you play the piano, you have to be listening. And uh, I read in a book that I was given... Uh, about Quarto, very short book. And he'd gone to play for Debussy's widow. And I think the daughter was still alive then. And um, he said something like, did daddy play? He played some of Debussy's preludes for her. Mm-hmm. And she was very moved. And she said, did daddy play them like that? And um, the daughter said, no, he listened much more. Ah, mm. So you see, even Quarto, who had mm. such a refined sound, couldn't match what Debussy was doing in Pianissimo. Mm. Um, uh, I'm reading Stephen Walsh's book about Debussy at the moment. He said that Debussy's default setting was Pianissimo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So was that something that that um, that Fanny Waterman talked about with you? The the, the quality of listening. Oh, totally, yes. Mm. She was, Dame Fanny was always into the balancing of the sound. And and then she used to demonstrate and say, well, it's not because I just do this, it's not because I just do that, it's the whole thing. And um, 
she used to say to me, well, you know, you've got drama, you've got poetry, but I'm not convinced you've got singing tone. So mm. we used to always go back to the singing tone. Mm. But then in the Rubinstein competition, one of the Russian judges said he'd like to have a lesson with me on singing tone. So by that time, I, I probably <laughs> had the singing tone. But uh, yes, I mean, she was always into the um You, you mean the he from you itself. or he to you? From me. From, oh, wow, wow. <laughs> no, he was only just, he was, he was just complimenting wow. her on her. So how did she teach singing tone? Well, we used to balance chords ah, a lot. Okay. We used to balance uh-huh. chords and you used to play the, say the top voice of a chord if you wanted the top of the chord and then add the other notes quietly and then pedal and then listen to the vibrations. Mm. So you had to, this was, became a kind of, just part of my daily routine instead of practicing mm. scales i'd be voicing chords and uh she used to say well the hands don't go down exactly together mm. so and i remember john amis on a radio program from Auburn when Fanny gave master class, she said, I noticed one of your boys overdoing it a bit. <laughs> and I think that was me. <laughs> yeah. So it has to be subtle. And, um, but basically, yes, I mean, she, she liked to use the pedal. She liked to use the pedal. And um, some lessons when I was young were a lot of it was, it's almost exclusively about the pedal. Mm. And, um, but she loved to bring out the contrapuntal side of the, the, the music. It was never just right hand orientated. We didn't like mm. just right handed pianists. And, um, so, so when you were talking about the preparation of the fugue from the Hammerclavio, yeah, was what you were talking about in how she was helping you with that in terms of, intellectually understanding what was going on with the fugue or i don't think she she isn't kind of from that standpoint mm-hmm. uh, that's not she's more intuitive mm-hmm. but she seems to know what needs to be heard mm-hmm. and um yeah i think it was just very practical but also always musical in fact that you know it's never just beethoven uses scales and arpeggios mm. like does Mozart he mm. uses the raw material we have mm. which is in the exam books but it's how he uses them mm. and how he combines them how he goes from one figuration to the next how he breaks off from that and curls it round and it's just wonderful to see this like a Scarlatti Sonata he uses just mm. a few little love your CD of Scarlatti by the oh, way thank as well. You. well he uses just a few things and makes a sonata out of it. Beethoven, Mozart, they're just using this very simple raw material, but it's Mm. how they play around then with the keys and the expectations of, and then that's how they can make the surprises because you're expecting something. Mm. And, um, no, I I mean, you know, we, I don't remember practicing scales as such with Fanny, I must admit. 
Wow. There's a bit in Neuhaus's book where he said Godowski didn't practice scales. But, of course, he practiced he the did. scales he, in his He piece. wrote millions of... Was it, it was Godowski that, that wrote he did the, the books hand. of how to, how to finger all the, the scales in thirds, fourths, fifths, sixths. Well, wasn't that, that... That was him, wasn't it? Well, according to, <laughs> according to um, Neuhaus, he was more interested in the lessons mm. because everybody went to him for technique, but he was more interested in lessons on, on correcting musical mistakes. Mm. Mm. Yeah, like Liszt, and well, like, yeah. like, yeah, and you know, if anybody uh, played a um, did a misreading, he would kind of fail them straight away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've noticed with my students, a lot of them do misreadings. You know, they learn wrong notes because they're learning too fast. So, but I, I just, I'm fi- I, just my... I find it very amusing when yeah. I find the, the and I find. And there's a wrong note and a, or something, a misreading. I find it very amusing. I love mm. telling them. <laughs> uh, do you know, I just shake my head because when I look back to the kind of student that I was with you, I just put my head in my hands and shake my head. I was terrible. But, you um, know, I ch- I've taught so many hundreds and hundreds of people. I can't remember the lessons in detail. I, I just remember that you did Prokofiev 7, you did Miroir by Ravel. And I remember thinking I was very impressed, but I can't remember what I said to you. <laughs> well, it, it took... No, I, I, I remember very little, but I do remember that in the five years that I had lessons with you, it took me five years to be able to play something where you did not rip it apart. Um, and that one, that was um, uh, Gaspar, actually. And oh, wow. I finally managed to... But, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was so inspiring. And I think when... Yeah, I, I kind of have a, a student a, a little bit like this at the moment. When I, when I came to you, I was... Um, essentially quite lazy. And I think that I didn't, it's only relatively recently that I've realized that actually I can be quite good if I put my mind to it. And back then, really? I, I think I was scared to really properly be serious and, and, and try properly because, um, I'd always got by. I'd always got by with, with sort of relatively little effort. And I think I was always scared that if I really took it very seriously and put a lot of effort into it, that I wouldn't be good enough. But, um, but I think gradually, I feel like the way that you taught me, I've gradually assimilated and I'm still putting those things into practice from, from 20 years ago that, that you were teaching me. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always got Fanny's voice in the back of my head, um, whatever I'm doing. <laughs> and uh, that's, yeah, I mean, it, it is comforting to have someone helping you. It is very comforting. It doesn't matter who it is, mm. you know, if they, if somebody you respect and mm. can help, it's, it's mm. wonderful because, you know, they're sharing your journey and all the rest of it. But, uh. I, th- I think about the wrong notes. I think I, and I do remember that you were constantly correcting the notes that I was playing, markings I wasn't doing. And, and, and I, I think a lot of this is, and, and I see this quite a lot. It's because you have a teacher. That's, that becomes your teacher's job. And I just yeah. now shake my, well, my I think head. Finger, fingering is, is a very yeah. important part of, uh, but it's something you've got to be careful about because yeah. particularly when you're teaching at conservatoire level, mm. a lot of those habits that people have have become ingrained over the years. Mm. And you may think you've got a better fingering. And sometimes I go to to correct a fingering and I actually think, oh, actually, your fingering's rather good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the first duty of a 
piano teacher is to give a good fingering. Yes, yes. And uh, because, you know, you see some very strange things. And, and I do remember your knowledge was encyclopedic. You'd be looking at a piece and going, well, such and such a performer would use this and such and such a performer would use that. And you were encyclopedic really? in your knowledge. <laughs> really? I, don't, I don't know about that. <laughs> I remember seeing Kovacevic play at uh, Sheffield and he was using a lot more we were in the God so because we was using a lot more fifth fingers on black notes mm. than I would have done. Mm. But, you know, that, that's, how, that's how he did it. Mm. Um, it's fascinating. We know we all go about it in different ways. Mm. He was using a lot long, more pedal in the Passionata, and I was, that was fascinating. Mm. And he said, oh, we saw him. He said, oh, you should have, have fun with the pedal. Be creative with it. And that's true. Mm. Um, so, so do you think that you would um, have been the level pianist that you are without having Fanny teaching you? Um... I think I think she was a decisive influence in my life and um, very supportive and encouraging, um, influential. I mean, all these things, um, empowering and uh, energizing. Mm. And uh, once I started teaching in Leeds when I was at um, uh, university, my mm. mother said, I must teach because you never knew what was going to happen in this profession. You know, mm. So I I started teaching and the, the joke was that um, Fanny said to me, I've heard you shouting at your pupils. <laughs> oh, Because really? I, I was probably trying to be as fierce as her. You know? <laughs> anyway, so she said, don't shout at pupils. I don't shout," said. "I energize." Oh, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) So, anyway, so I no, I I probably get a little bit excited occasionally, but I generally don't shout. (laughs) (laughs) I do remember, like, like I mean, I don't remember many of the details in our lessons, but I do remember you would go, "No, no, 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 no," and whack my hand off as I was playing. And this was just something that happened every every minute. Are oh, you not allowed lesson. to do that anymore? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it always made me laugh. You know, it was uh, never took it badly. Yeah. No, well, exactly. No, well, I I think um, you know some students you can have that kind of relationship where you're friends too, yeah. and um, uh, you can make a joke, and yeah, yeah. it's uh, I think that's great. But there, but not every student you're going to have that kind of relation with. There'll mm. be a kind of barrier there, mm. which is fine, you know. And uh, mm. uh, you'll be on a kind of musical wavelength with a student. Mm. And I think that's what I've enjoyed with people like you and um, you and Owen at Manchester at the moment. Now you're on a musical wavelength mm. with them. And uh, that's that well, it's is very flattering wonderful... that you say that because your musical wavelength is so high. <laughs> <That's>... oh, I, <laughs> I mean, but but yeah, I mean, I, I I really my playing at the moment. I would not be playing, I think, at the level where I'm at without having had you as a teacher to to show me that that level is there to to aim for. Um, well, you know, amazing. there's there's always um, you, when I was a boy, I used to listen to the. The greats play the Richters, the Ashkenazi, the mm. Brendels, and, mm. and you think you'll never even approach this because, and, and now I listen to people like Melnikov and I think, well, he's younger than me and he's much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but it doesn't really matter. You know, mm, well, mm. well, the main thing is that you love music. Yes, yes. And, uh, and you want to, you want to play and, uh, just the whole musical life. I yeah. think it's very, it's very important not to separate things. You know, whether you're playing chamber music or concertos or solos or forehands, which I love to do. And, um, uh, it doesn't matter or whether you're going to a concert or you're listening to a recording. It's all one thing mm. or whether you're reading about music. Yeah. It's all a part of the whole thing. Mm. And it's a, we're so lucky to be involved in this way. And, you know, there's always mm. going to be somebody better than you and somebody worse than you. <laughs> you know, yes. we can. But sometimes I, I can give a lesson to an amateur pianist and I, I'll find it incredibly interesting mm. because I because you realize that, you know, quite a lot about this subject and you can explain it to someone and mm. and relearn it for yourself. Mm. So I, I, I find that very interesting, too. Mm. So I'll, um, I'll try and wrap up soon, but I've, mm. I've got one, one more question. Uh, we've been doing a, a series on the podcast of kind of common pitfalls that amateur pianists fall into. And mm. uh, so you teach a lot of aspiring professionals, but also I think you do a lot of workshops and stuff with, with more amateur level. Well, I've really enjoyed doing the Chetham Summer School Yeah, uh, yeah. for the last, <clears throat> must be nearly 10 years. Mm. So I've really enjoyed that. And mm. uh the, you get all these people who are passionate about playing mm. and all kinds of levels, mm. but they're lovely people. And I think all the professionals there have really enjoyed mm. working with them. And um, now, now, do you notice pitfalls, common pitfalls that, that the amateurs tend to fall into? Well, they don't like getting it right at that point they like to go back to the beginning and start to have a run at it you know that was something in fanny's teaching that was so ingrained that you had to work on the bit that yes, was yes. that needed working on oh, I know and then you then that. you go back and i think a lot of it is because some don't read very well so they memorize it yeah, and they can't yeah. actually the the reading is very useful for practicing yes yeah um yeah, and the pedaling is often very bad with the amateur. Um, just the basic pedaling is needs to be improved generally, mm. and and things like hand position often needs to be improved. Um, if if the hand position is good, then you can make progress. But if the hand position is entirely wrong. Mm then it's very difficult to make progress. I don't think we spoke once about hand position in our lessons. What's what's a bad hand position? Well, you see, you obviously had something that was naturally <laughs> pretty good. Well, you know, I mean, people say, well, Horowitz played with flat oh, fingers. Yes. Well, he probably did play with flat fingers, but, you know, he, <laughs> <laughs> he was a, a pianistic genius. But yes. uh, I... Um, no, with, without the curved hand position mm, and without mm. a wrist which is at least um, enabling to be to be loose. Yes, uh, yes. No, if not all the time, it ha you have to have some flexibility in the wrists mm -hmm. and some some looseness in the shoulders. Mm. And uh, without these things, you can't begin to make a nice sound yes, at the piano. Yes. Begin. And then the thumb under in the scales is so important to have a, a beautiful scale mm. is so important well there's been a, i think a, a lot of um 
talk on the internet recently about getting away from this thumb under thing, mainly oh, because yeah. of one particular book. Is it Fundamentals of Piano Practice or something, oh, where yeah. he talks about thumb over? And, oh, yeah. and there's so much argument on the internet about yes. what thumb over technique is. Yes. Have, have you have you well, come across this? You know, I I I had to do the basic thumb under exercises. It's basically thumb under and hand over thumb. Mm. Yeah. So the hand over thumb is just as important as the thumb under. Yes. Mm. And uh, but you know there are various ways you can improve, and whether you some people say there isn't such a thing as a legato thumb, but mm, yes, but if you've got a slow melody <laughs> which isn't pedaled, well, what do you do? You've got to do a legato thumb. Yes. So you can't say there's no such thing as a legato thumb. Yeah. It may be less or more legato. I mean, the thing to do with scales is to be able to play them with all different touches. Mm. And dynamic shadings, you know, mm. to be able to play poco staccato, molto staccato in phrases, mm. couplets, whatever way, you know, mm. um, as demanded by the music. Mm. The music must dictate the terms, you know. Yes. It's how much imagination you have in the... Mm. the and this, you know, is where we could talk about inspiration. You've got to... Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those early recitals I attended as a boy, they were incredible events. And I'll never forget them, you know. Mm. I'll never forget hearing Richter and Rubinstein in the Sheffield City Hall. Oh, wow. I'll never forget hearing Alex Seif when he came back to play because he couldn't come after he'd won the Leeds because of the political situation. He mm. came back about 18 months later mm. and he played an amazing recital in the Grand Theatre in mm. Leeds. I'll mm. never forget it. Mm. I used to have a tape of it, I think, because it was on the radio. I think I've lost it. Mm. <laughs> you know, this is something when I do look back to the lessons um, that I had with you, I do remember you talking about recordings. And um, when when I was having lessons with you, I... I mean, I, I did listen to music, but I don't think I listened to, mu to to the classic recordings. I don't think I even knew what the classic recordings were, and I'm really embarrassed looking back on it. But um, I do think that part of the journey to becoming really good is to absolutely digest all the great recordings. And if you don't digest those recordings, you can't make that journey. Have well, there's always on that? There's, there are so many, though. You know, I mean... I had marvellous recordings, mm. which I chose and I thought this was... But then you find out that Sirkin's also done it, you know, and, it, mm. and it's even better than... <laughs> <laughs> so there's always one you haven't heard. Mm. Um, I uh, mean, I think when we had lessons, I hadn't even properly listened to Horowitz yet by that time. That's how impoverished my listening had been, you know. Well, you know, I mean, Horowitz was great on Schumann, Scriabin... Chopin. Yes, Scarlatti. Some people think he's thought his Chopin was a bit too exaggerated, but you know, it was fascinating. Mm. And I mean, his pedaling was very individual. Sometimes you felt he was over pedaling on purpose and then sometimes bone dry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which was a kind of interesting juxtaposition in his interpretations. Mm. But his Scarlatti, no one could really disagree that was great piano play. So, yeah, I mean, the, we all have our favourites, don't we? I mean, mm. I grew up with certain pianists I was listening to. But you, as I say, you can't really ape them. In the end, yeah, you've got yeah. to be yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, you were talking earlier on about the, the singing tone and with uh, with, with Fanny. Did did you did, did she help with the psychological aspects of of playing in any way? Well, so I always remember we were doing Beethoven's Second Concerto with the you know the really upbeat first moment, and she said, "It doesn't matter how you're feeling." You might be feeling down or whatever. You've got to be effervescent if it needs to be. You mm. know, that's just part of the thing. Um, um, psychological. Well, I mean, she like just performing to, and well, uh, you know, I she used to say, well, if you haven't practiced it, you'll have a conscience and then you'll be nervous. <laughs> And, and you know, she's right. If you haven't practiced it, you'll have a conscience about it and it might go wrong. <laughs> there is, there isn't really much, you know, I mean, you either enjoy performing or you don't. Yeah, yeah. We all get nervous or most of us do. And that really probably helps yeah. some people. But of course, if it's, if there's too much and uh, you're not sleeping and all the rest of all that kind mm. of stuff, then that can have a very detrimental effect. Mm, mm-hmm. Sleep is very important. Mm. And so uh, if you're not getting that enough, then it, that will have a detrimental effect. Yeah. So it's, a, it's, it's all about balance, isn't it? It's yeah, all yeah. about balance. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people, they do theses on concert nerves now, which is all very good, but... You know, the best you can do is just be prepared. And you either enjoy performing or you don't, let's face it. Okay. I mean, this is amusing because, like, literally the last podcast that we recorded last week mm. was on how to deal with performance anxiety. Yeah. And, and uh, from quite an early age, I was saying in it, I basically learned that um, um, if you could handle your performance anxiety, your nerves better you don't have to prepare as much. And so I kind of ah, took this to an art form. Oh, the, the, well. the better I could deal with nerves, the, the less preparation. So this was something I kind of internalized well, you're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> but but, but I, it sounds like, like Fanny was said, almost like saying, like using it as a hook to make you practice. It's like... Uh, well, my mother used to say that, that uh, Dame Fanny's preparation was so good that you'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I kind of learned the, the wrong lesson at some point. I remember was... I was learning some new pieces age about 14, like the second scherzo Chopin. Mm. And, um, and, and she changed the program for a lunchtime concert I was doing at the art gallery in Leeds. And she said, it's not ready. You... Mm. And so we went back on some Mozart variations I did and Schumann in the Nacht and things like that. And um, I played very beautifully. And I, I wasn't cross that she'd changed the programme. And then mm. we went back to the piece again mm. later. And and I've used it thousands of times. So, you see, so, mm. so the teacher will sometimes always have, a have say, the prescribed limits. Mm. Because the talent kids always want to learn this, they want to learn that. And of course, it's not always possible to learn everything. Mm. But um, straight at once. Well, I mean, I once. remember I, I learned that Prokofiev 7 in, was it a month flat or something like that? And when Amazing. I went to, to perform yeah. it, I had to fudge it because um, I'd stupidly not listened to your advice again and learned from the end backwards. So I'd only gone from the beginning to the end. And I, I literally couldn't play the last two pages. So what yeah. I did, and this gave my, my page turner, because I was reading frantically from the music, yeah. and, and my page turner wasn't allowed to go to the last page, the last two pages. They had to go backwards where I fudged it and played the previous bit that wasn't quite as difficult and then go to the end. <laughs> 
uh, and uh, and no one noticed. <laughs> and and I could deal with the nerves so that I I could play, you know, right on the edge of what was comfortable for me. But I, I bet, no, that's not a lesson. I think I want people to to take away. But. Um, uh, yeah, anyway, let's, uh, the, 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 yeah, we spent ages there, I think like mm. almost an hour and a half. And thank you so much, Ben. That, that's been brilliant. So, so yeah, this has been the, the heart of the piano podcast. Uh, please do, uh, leave comments and leave some reviews on iTunes or whatever, uh, other platform of choice you're using for the podcast. Uh, um, thank you so much and see you the next time. Uh, so thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you.